Morning, dickhead. Hello, moron. This is the Cutline Podcast with your host, Michael Cavalunis. Five golfers will not be headed to the BMW Championship next weekend, and this week's Northern Trust is going to sort all that mess out. The PGA Tour heads back to Liberty National Golf Club, and the last time the tour was here, 2019. And the cut line is here to break down Northern Trust, but first, hello Canada, hello Australia, hello USA, hello UK, hello Ireland, Spain, Germany, Sweden, Ireland, Austria. Wait for it, South Africa. Thanks for tuning in weekly as the cut line brings in-depth analysis of Drex King's PGA and gambling analysis. But if you're new to the cut line, nice beaver. Thank you. I just had it stuffed. Let me help you with that. We're gonna get you some cash. And if you're a returning loose listener, alive, it's alive. It's alive! Go get some, all right? We gotta get this out of the way. All right, let's break it down. I'm Mike Cavalunas at Lunas on Twitter, and I'm so happy to announce that I am this week's truth sayer. This is the guy who said Henley was gonna burn people, and oh my, did he. It might have taken till Sunday, but how about that Sunday? Seven holes to go. Up three strokes. We thought it was a lock, right? Right? Wrong, wrong, wrong. But this show, this show cannot, will not be done without this very special guest. Five-time live finalist, and he's qualified nine fucking times. One-time live final champion, FTN daily expert, betting pro, meaning he does this for a living. You think Alex Baker is good at this shit? Kyle Murray's been dominating since 1996. The Rolex-wearing, limousine-riding, jet-flying, Scotty Cameron Putton... Kyle Murray at Kmer DFS on Twitter. What's up, Kyle? Man, I mean, I don't know how to even come in after that intro. That's it's, people are gonna think I paid you to do that. Um, but I will say, I did just get myself a Scotty Cameron, so it is pretty fitting. No limo yet, but I do have the Scotty Cameron butter, so I'm doing great. I'm happy to be on the show and talking about a pretty exciting golf tournament. I appreciate it coming on, Kyle. Man, it's it's so fun watching your work. I like I knew you through. Arbor Pro back in the day with CJ Kaltenbach. So to see you grow to the heights, going from Rotor Grinders now to FTN Daily. And man, you're just killing it. You're crushing it all the time. I love it. I love seeing you follow on Twitter. I love when you're posting your winnings on Twitter. And man, you guys at FTN are really helping everybody out. Like with all sports, you know, not just golf. I know this is a PGA show, but let's be realistic. You guys are crushing it with kind of like every single sport. NFL's coming up. You guys are ready to kill it there. 
you know, do you, you want to touch, touch base with anything of our listeners about FTN Daily? Well, I appreciate that. I mean, a, a goal of ours was to make it kind of a one-stop shop, and we're getting really excited for the NFL season, adding a, a ton of new tools. We have the new FTN data package that has kind of provided us with an opportunity to make a ton of tools. We just launched our new NFL splits tool, which is a tool that you can't really find anywhere else. We have a brand new optimizer rolling through the site soon, so we're really pumped for the, the new NFL package over at FTN, and uh, yeah, I, I appreciate the nice words. No problem. No problem, man. I, I love the product at FTN, so... Um, it's great stuff. So we're going to play our quick game. It's called the Short Par 4. Four random questions that we throw at our guests. Question one. You wake up Sunday morning. What PGA headline do you have to see? What PGA headline do you have to see? Now, this could be totally fabricated. Hmm. Well, you know, if I was a... Uh... I feel like the easy answer would be, you know, what drama has Bryson caused this week? I feel like there's always something new, it's especially the past few weeks. But for me, and this kind of hits a little home here uh, this week, is it's where's Joaquin Neiman in the standings? That's what I want to know. <laughs> He's one of my favorite players on tour. I'm just waiting for him to win. You know, he came into uh, Detroit, which is 20 minutes from where I live, and he, in my opinion, should have walked away with his first ever PGA Tour win and kind of blew it in that playoff. So for this week, my favorite headline come Sunday is going to be, where's, where's Joaquin Neiman come Sunday? All right, all right. So this show gets a little bit off color. And, of course, this next question is going to just to be that. All right, so you're invited to any PGA golfer's brand-new condo on the beach. Here's the caveat. Night before, you went on a freaking bender. You got a burrito, you got a fucking like steak tacos, quesadilla, and the next morning you're invited to this golfer's house and you got to christen that porcelain. What golfer are you committing that atrocity to? Well, when you put it that way, the atrocity part, like that makes me make it sound like I want to, you know. It's against the law. You can't christen, you can't be the first guy to christen yeah. someone's sacred bathroom initially i was thinking which golfer would be like most okay with me doing this that's how i first thought how of how to answer the question i was going to go with you know new champion kevin kisner obviously off the win he wouldn't care about anything right now let alone a toilet but i guess the the golfer that i would want to do the most i guess harm to oh man that's tough i'm gonna go patrick reed like i oh it i I do I hate to do it. Everyone kind of beats up on Patrick Reed, but he's easy to kind of beat up on. So I'm going to go Patrick Reed. I feel like also he probably wouldn't care. He's probably done worse to his toilets. <laughs> Patrick Reed's a good one. I would have done Sergio myself, but I That's like Reed. I would like Reed. All right. You can play any course in the world. Okay. You can shoot 36 on it. Now you can combine courses too. Let's say you do 18 at once. You got that, you know, super flying jet. What course, two courses are you to do 36 on? So this is actually very unique because yesterday I had like a memory pop up on my phone and and three years ago yesterday I got to play Tory Pines and it was during one of the live finals that FanDuel flew, flew us out there and they got us a, a tee time so I got to play Tory Pines and I kid you not I've been playing golf for a week and a half and I got <laughs> oh, and so it was brutal and now I play golf like two or three times a week so I w- I would want to play Tory Pines again to actually play that course. While I can actually play a bit, you know, I'm not great, but I can actually, you know, make my way around the course without embarrassing myself. So it would definitely be Torrey Pines as one. And then I'll just stay, stay in the same state. I'll go to Pebble. I think those would be two 
miraculous courses to play. Obviously, I got to play Torrey Pines once, and I would like to play it again because I need some uh, some vengeance and then and then Pebble. I like those. That's a good choice. It's the way to go. Of course. Now, the question I always end with, finish the foursome. PJ Tour players, whether they're still on tour or not, retired, alive or not, finish your foursome. What three PJ Tour pros are you golfing with? Man, that's a good question. All right, so first is Rory, because I've always been a Rory fan. Even when I didn't really know much about like just the basics of golf, my grandma was a massive Rory McIlroy fan when he was young. Uh, and, and just first started kind of popping up. So ever since I was little, I was always a big Rory guy. So he'd be one. Obviously, mm-hmm. Tiger is two. Uh, am I in the four? Or is, or is yeah, just, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. You finished so, the foursome, so you're okay. part of it. So myself, where I'll definitely embarrass myself. And then I guess the the third and final partner, or I guess in the trio, man, that's a really tough one. I'm going to go with the personal favorite, um, Tony Finau. I mean... He's, I think that'd be a very hot take, but I feel like he'd be so fun to play with. Uh, I've seen, I'm a big follower of him on Instagram and I see a lot of his videos playing with his brother and his son. Uh, and he seems very cool to play golf with. So the, people probably wouldn't expect Tony Finau to be in that with Rory and with Tiger, but I feel like he'd be a lot of fun to play with. So who are you riding with out of those three? Oh, Tiger for sure. <laughs> but I'm driving. <laughs> oh, oh, it's too soon, man. It's too soon. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's break let's break this sucker down. The cut line is here to bring you in-depth tracking's analysis of the Northern Trust at Liberty National. And Kyle and I are going to do the best we can. What is it about good sex that makes me have to crap? I guess it's all that pumping. Pump and dump. To give you the best opportunity to cash on Sunday, we'll be sure to bring in timely wax, greenside sand traps, and a putt that might drop in through the back door. And the goal of the cut line is to make sure that not only is your tournament lineup in the green, but so is your bankroll. The cut line is here to give you smashing lineups, cashing lineups, lineups that are kicking ass and taking names and getting six of six golfers through the cut line. And of course, it's Wednesday night. You don't know what golfer to play, where ownership is leading you. The men and team and awesome website that does, Fanshare Sports and FanshareSports.com. Very easy fix if you don't have a subscription. Put in all your information, go to the discount option, write the word cut line, and you'll receive 20% off your monthly membership. How do I know it's good? Because I'm the guy who does the ownership at Fan Share Sports. So let's look at the course report and Fan and Liberty National Golf Club. FedEx playoffs begin with the Northern Trust, and the golfers will get to face Liberty National for the first leg of the tour playoffs. Course was built on a landfill. And plenty have said that when this course plays dry, it plays pretty difficult. But the Northern Trust operates with a course rotation on the East Coast. While we've seen Liberty National only two years ago, it's still limited in the amount of data that would determine it reliable. The biggest issues that golfers could face this week would be the length of the rough. In 2009, the rough was prepped up at nearly four inches and caused plenty of headaches as the course ranked in the top 10 in difficulty that year. But since then, greenskeepers and tournament officials have laid off the length of the rough and allowed to play a lot shorter. Think of Augusta National in a rough of that length. In addition, players will have to avoid a lot of water. The double bogey rate is high at Liberty National. It's easy to compare it to tournaments like the Players, the Honda Classic, and the Memorial. Being on the coast, players are going to have to navigate through some wind, but how much is yet to be determined. Make sure you keep an eye on the weather as the tournament gets closer. Closer. 
Plenty of players have made different claims on how this course plays. Mickelson said it reminds him of Augusta, while Webb Simpson says it feels the greens feel a lot like a Donald Ross designs. These are going to be fast greens, and approach shots are going to be difficult based on pin position. The green complexes are just that complex. A tour pro might hit what appears to be a perfect shot and just see it roll off into the bunker. The challenges are abundant and probably explains why we've seen so many of the top golfers on the PGA Tour win this specific event. You need to bring an elite game for every round and it just isn't something that those less talented can accomplish here at the Northern Trust. Robert Cup design, Tom Kite design, bent grass greens. We got smaller green size. 10 to 13, average to fast in the stint meter, 7,353 yards in length, par 71. Kyle, Key stats that you are looking at for this weekend. What do you got? Uh, number one's driving. Uh, whether it be distance or just off the tee, I think the the top ball strikers, especially the guys who can put themselves in good positions off the tee, is going to be my number one priority. And that's typically not the case for me. I typically prefer top end ball strikers in terms of strokes gained on the approach. Uh, but today, but this week, I'm looking at those top end drivers of the of the golf ball. Are you talking about distance or just like straight off off the tee? I, I do prefer distance as pretty much. Most weeks, but um, distance is kind of the main the main priority here. But the those top end golfers in terms of gaining strokes off the tee are going to kind of filter to the top of the guys I'm interested in. But distance being a priority. Yeah, I really do like those ball strikers and the approach players this week as well. I'm looking at birdies gained and scoring and the strokes gained to the green, but I'm really going to actually heavily weight the 2021 PGA stats this year. And I know normally we run that rolling report, whether you do it on Fantasy National, whether you do it on Fanshare Sports, whether you do it at FTN Daily, however you do run that rolling report, I think that a lot of people are going to get caught up in kind of that recent form, which isn't a bad thing. The problem is there's been not a lot of bent grass in this recent kind of play. So it could be quite deceiving. And, and and I think there is something to be said about where you grew up, where you played your golf growing up, where you played most of your golf. I mean, we're, we're well aware of who plays well on what coast. So it'll be interesting to see how that unfolds this week. But we're going we're gonna to move on. The question is, how are people going to build their lineups this weekend? This is the dance floor where the cut line breaks down your lineup building strategy for this weekend's tournament in the Northern Trust with only 125 golfers in the field. But we do have a cut line, which is excellent. Leaves your options limited unless you get sneaky somewhere. Right now, current chalk that we think is going to be very high. Early ownership run-throughs, looking at someone like Daniel Berger, Colin Morikawa, going to be very possible, or popular. John Rahm, of course, 11,500. He's popping in everyone's models. Paul Casey at 8,700. Webb Simpson to just round out that top five. So, Kyle, we need to get different this week. Um, I'm not one who's adverse to chalk if you can get different elsewhere. Okay? So, think of like lineup building strategies you use to be successful. When you have to eat chalk, how do you get different in your lineup building process? 
Yeah, so I mean, first of all, I, I think the best way that I, I like to describe how I like to eat chalk is guys who are just too cheap for what I think that they're capable of or what they're projecting for me to do. Um, and typically the best way I like to get contrarian is looking at the guys up top. Last week is a good example. I, I didn't have the stones to fade Webb Simpson, but if you wanted to get different, the best way to do it is at the top, right? Because that's where you're going to find all the top-end mm-hmm. talent, right? Especially this week right. in a field where we have the top 125 performers in the PGA Tour. Like, If you're going to look at in terms of ownership at the top, obviously John Rahm, top golfer in the world, he's going to be very popular, but you separate him through you know not much. We have a lot of really extremely talented golfers up the top so if you're looking to get contrarian that's typically the way i like to recommend to do it in the in the quickest way possible i also like to fade guys that are you know super cheap that are volatile golfers i mean if someone's super cheap and i just think that they're too talented for that price tag i'm okay with eating that chalk but the best way to get leverage in a golf tournament in my opinion from a dfs perspective is up typically up at the top because you're gonna a lot of times have a very uh consolidated ownership it looks like this week it's going to be on guys like morikawa and rom but around those guys we have a litter of fantastic golfers and fantastic options this week so that's the way i like to do it okay so so would you even be willing let's say that you know we're looking right now morikawa looks to be like chalk would you get different by even going down to the 9K range? Because you got some really good golfers in there. Think about it. you got JT, Shambo, Victor Hovland, Answer, who just came off a win a couple weeks ago, Scotty Scheffler, Cantlay, Berger. Yeah, I mean, they're fantastic options. And you mentioned a couple names that I think people are going to not only shy away from in, in, turn, in favor for Morikawa or Berger, but people aren't going to go to Cantley, I don't think. People likely aren't going to go to Justin Thomas. Those are a couple of guys that you, you're going to get extreme leverage on if you want to go there. And I think one thing that's very interesting is typically in these strong field tournaments, the major-esque type tournaments, there's a lot of a lot of times the common strategy is balanced builds because you look down in this 9K range, every single name that you just rattled off we know has won equity. They've either won uh, in major tournaments or or top end tournaments or just on PGA Tour in general. Um, you know, there's a couple of guys that haven't Scheffler, but there are guys that have either performed well, shown that they can win, or have won. So to do so in a balanced build, you can get three of these guys to start your lineup. And you know, looking at 9K. Not saying that I like him, but just for example, 9K Hideki Matsuyama. This guy just won the Masters, and he was, I believe, in, he was in the playoff, correct, at the, at the Olympics. So we've seen him perform well in, in extremely talented fields. So going in a balanced build is a contrarian option when typically that's the exact opposite. Typically, you know, back when we were seeing Dustin Johnson be the top price guys, he was, mm-hmm. he was being completely faded by the public, and it was just going to be balanced builds. Like, for example, at the Masters, uh, at other majors, when DJ was the top price guy, balance was kind of the popular build, and that doesn't look to be the case this week. All right, so then do you kind of justify the chalk plays you are going to play based on what contest you're entering? Like, for example... Let's just say you're all in on Dustin Johnson this week. And people are really valuing tournament history, even though it, it hasn't always been played, obviously, at Liberty National. But they see the success that he's had the last four years winning twice. It, like, will you look at him in a single entry and say, no, that's not chalk I want to eat? But then in a mass multi-entry, you'll say, yes, I'll double the field. Like, do you have different strategies for chalk when, when kind of composing your contest selection? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, like for example, if you're looking to kind of get a 150 build, I, I think a lot of times you have to treat it like a portfolio, right? You uh, you want this much exposure to X player because he has this kind of ceiling, but also 
you want to compare that to his projected ownership. So say, you know, looking at your ownership projections around 10, 15% for DJ right now, if you want to double the field there, you can kind of quickly determine where you want to be in terms of comparing him to the projected ownership. Um, but in a single entry, like say I'm, I have one lineup on the weekend, I'm much more likely to say I don't care about ownership if I really like this guy. If this is my guy. I only have one lineup. I'm going to roster him, right? I think that's kind of the way you, at least I, approach single entry versus uh, a 150 build. Right. What about 20 max? Anything different there? Or do you uh, really touch those? I, I typically I mean, I, I I wouldn't say I don't touch them, but if I'm in 20 max, I'm probably not having 20 lineups in them. Because um, typically for golf, I'll make five to six lineups. I don't I won 50 every so every so often, but typically it's five to six lineups a week. Um, but 20 max there, I'm probably not hand building 20 lineups. You could, some people definitely do, and they might. But I personally am not going to build uh, 20 lineups by hand. Um, so I'm probably going to be using an optimizer, and if that's the case, I'm more likely to treat it like a 150. You guys hear that? The nine-time qualifier doesn't build by hand for 20 lineups. Just saying. <laughs> All right, and for the masses, and I hate this fucking question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. It's the worst question I think ever asked in DFS. People always want to know what size is your player pool. They always want to know, like, how big do you get your player pool? And everyone always comes up with a different answer, and, it, and it's littered with opinions. So here we go. You got your 150 max. You're building for this week. You got 125 golfers. What is your player pool size? And I know it's early in the week. This could always change. And you know what? You could tweet this out later and say, hey, yeah. my player pool is this. But initial thoughts, what would it be? Yeah, so it is tough to say. Like, I, I don't want to be like the – you probably heard this – response every time you ask the question but it does i hate this question it does depend on the week right like you can't say i think it would be bad advice to say okay 30 30, like that i I would feel bad giving that advice because it's just not true every single week right sometimes i'm going to want an extremely tight core to where i have you know less than 30 sometimes i'm not maybe not as confident on my core plays and maybe my player pool will get up to 40 45 this week i would probably say it'd be between 25 and 30 a little bit of a smaller field I'd still probably want to spread out ownership a little bit because, again, in an extremely talented field like this, anybody, I don't want to say anybody can win because I do think that typically the talent is going to rise to the top of the leaderboard. Mm-hmm. But like, let's say 8K and above, I think all these guys have win equity, so I'm going to want to have exposure to a lot of these guys. So I'll probably say around 30. All right. And now what do you do with mispriced players? And this and this would be just kind of like the last thing. What like If a guy is egregiously overpriced, do you ever have interest in him? Or if a guy is... Because people are going to fade him, right? And that's most definitely a leverage play to the field versus the guy who's egregiously overowned. Example would be Corey Connors at the Masters because he was sub 7K, which was ridiculous. Do you have any particular strategies with those plays? So the way I see it in golf is as long as you can stomach it and as long as you can foresee a ceiling with a particular golfer, he can't be overpriced. I love that answer. So I love that answer. I mean, sure, if Kevin Kisner was 10-9, I'm probably not interested, right? But if I think Kevin Kisner is going to win this tournament, price doesn't really matter as much in, in golf because if you win the tournament, you're going to pay off a massive price tag one way or, not, or, or the other. So that's how I feel about it with being too expensive. With being too cheap, like if it's you, – you mentioned Connors when he was – I think it was 6-8 at the Masters. 
prior to us going live, I mentioned Berger at the open when I believe he was 7-2 or 7-4. Like, those are just really evident examples of someone just being too cheap. Another one, I want to say it was Spieth at the Masters, potentially. Um, but again, he was like 8-4 or something like that. Just overall, just too cheap. Those guys, I feel like you have to pay a bit more attention to it because the, the, the ownership can creep up really, really quick, especially in smaller field tournaments where you're playing maybe 200, 300 entry tournaments. The ownership can really get up 40, 50%. And then if you fade and they bust, you're looking at massive, massive leverage. So that's kind of where I pay more attention to it. It would be on the a, a golfer being too cheap rather than being too expensive. Yeah, I think that 8,400 speed you're talking about was the Masters in November. Yep. It wasn't this past one. He was up in that 10K range. But yeah, I, I understand what you're saying. All right. So... Question now is, who are we going to play this weekend? He's two putts from victory. Only needs one. Ooh, got a member's bounce there, boys. That's birdie all day long. This is the Cutline's Birdie or Better segment where we will look at each tier of golfer at the top, top 11K range down through the 6K range and find our favorite plays, players that we think might be a bad idea. Either way, we're going to start at this top tier with John Rahm, Dustin Johnson, Jordan Spieth, Xander Shoffley, Colin Morikawa, Brooks Kepka, and Rory McIlroy. Right now. How are you going to convince me not to play John Rahm? Okay, number one in the world. In my overall stat model, he ranks number two. In my aggregate model, number one. My confidence model, number one. In Lee Aldrich's course suitability metrics on Fanshare Sports, he ranks number five. He's a decent putter on Bentgrass. Not the best in the field, average at best, but we could get a hot putter. But the guy's flawless in his swing. How do you feel about Rahm, Kyle? I mean, you're you're crazy to say you don't like Rom here. Like all he does is play well, and the only time he doesn't end up having a good result is if he has to withdraw for medical reasons. I'll, I'll put it that way. But <laughs> he's just the top golfer in the world that you mentioned. Though everything that you said fits the bill. Like he, it's very tough to beat. Um, and even I will say the price here at this point, like you kind of feel like you need him to win. Typically, most weeks, right? But I don't think that's the case this week because you can roster a guy that's. 8-1, that's a little foreshadowing there, that could potentially win the tournament, right? But, right. so you don't necessarily need him to win. You obviously would like him to win. A top 10 is probably a must for a guy that's 11-5, but say he gets a third place, fourth place finish, you can find that kind of back-end value-ish to come in and potentially win the tournament or make up for that potential points that you're losing from him not winning the tournament. So it's just, there's really no, there's no case, really. I guess the only case is ownership. He's going to be pretty popular, but, I mean, he's just a great play. Are you worried about any rust? We haven't seen him play since the Open Championship. He finished in third. And, he, and, you know, before that, he played at the U.S. Open. He finished in first. Before that, he played at the PGA Championship. He finished in eighth. Obviously, Rom had some withdrawals in there due to COVID. But any worried, any, are you worried about that? Like, let's be realistic. He's, he's staying at home on purpose, staying at home with the wife, with the new kid, the new baby. But he's dominating. Like, do you feel any rust is necessary this tournament? Like, is this the week we fade him and maybe play him next week at the BMW? Because, you know, he's guaranteed to play there. Or do we buy all in early? I, I still think he's going to be popular. I mean, I think if it's if this is the week to fade him, it's more so because you can have a really solid balance build and you can really have four to five guys that have strong win equity. But I, I don't think it's because of rust. Um, 
I mean, this game is easy for him. The game, the game's not easy for anybody, and it's easy for John Rom. So I'm not really worried about Russ with Rom. Um, but I, I will say, if you were looking to fade him, there are reasons. There's reason to fade anybody, especially in golf, right? But um, I don't think Russ would be the reason I would do it. All right. So Dustin Johnson, we know the the tournament history here. He's been very successful, and coming off the tenth place finish the WGC St. Jude, obviously with Rom above him, taking a lot of ownership from DJ. I think DJ's in play. He's not someone, though, that I'm necessarily going to be all over. Um, and I think because of that, there is some leverage to be had. Just based on early ownership projections, getting him in a, an almost single-digit ownership, he kind of tends to be a very contrarian play, especially for a single entry. Yeah, I mean, again, like the former number one golfer in the world, and I mentioned I like driving distance, and he obviously fits that bill. Um, so I, I, I think he's fine, but it is tough to – for me to say, okay, I'm going to spend top dollar for somebody and then go DJ, who he's kind of looked out of sorts at times, right? I know he did have the the, the T10 last time out, and he had a T8 uh, three events ago, but he missed the cut two events ago. So, like, we've seen a bit of up and down from DJ, which I guess we've kind of come to realize is a case for him at times. We know he has the ability to go out and not only win, but lap any field. But, again, if I'm up here in this range it's tough for me to go him over uh, John Rom. I understand. All right. So let's go down to Alexander. I, I, I'm going to skip over speed. If you want to know about speed, listen to another show. He's, he's going to be popular. <laughs> he fits everyone's mold, blah, blah, blah. We don't have to waste time. Let's go down to Xander though. All right. You, you, you like Xander this week, right? I do. Yeah. All right. What, what is it? It's, it's ownership. I mean, again, like we are recording this Monday. So like ownership's not necessarily like a, a given right now, but He's coming off of the lackluster finish after the Olympics where he publicly stated that he wasn't expecting for the Olympics to take that much out of him, and he didn't look good. Pretty, much, He had a good Sunday, but you know, Friday through Saturday, obviously. I, speaking of, I don't know what you do on the weeks where there's no cut, so I, I guess congrats on the week off. But um, now that we have the cut line back, Xander, I think, fits the bill for a low-owned play, right? Morikawa's right there. Rom's a bit more expensive. Berger's cheaper than him. Those are three guys I think are all, all going to carry a ton of ownership. And if Xander's going to go low on, this is just a guy that's done nothing but look amazing in top-end tournaments, right? Like a ton of top 10s and majors. Obviously, this isn't a major, but it has a kind of a major feel in terms of the talent amongst the, the players in this field. So Xander, if he's going to be lower owned, I mean, the guy is just amazing, right? He does so many things well um, to where I, I'm okay with him in any tournament, in any field. I do like him when he's lower owned. But um, because at times, he, when he's a bit more expensive, I feel like he's also one of those guys that picks up a ton of steam really quickly. So I do like him when he's lower owned. And if it's going to be this week, because of that potential lag or whatever people are worried about, I'm totally okay with going to it. All right. So you, you look at Xander, and I do like his, his showings this tournament. He had a 20, 25th finish in 2020 and then 17th place finish in 2017. So the upside is there. I think at 10,600, though, he's going to have to finish higher than that, obviously. We have seen Xander knocking on the door at major championships. This is not a major championship, so there's an issue there. He is coming off the gold medal. Okay, he's coming off the gold medal at the at, at the at the Olympics, um, but he followed that up, like you mentioned, with the 46th place at the WGC St. Jude. I'm not quite sure that if Xander is necessarily he's prepping his game for East Lake potentially, um, and and hunting for that 15 million because who doesn't want to win that? So I'm not sure if I can jump all in on Xander like you get it but if it is going to be a leverage play and ownership is going to be this massive of a differential to where he's only at like sub 7% ownership it, 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 it almost is like 
go way overweight in mass multi-entry for Xander. Yeah, and you don't even need to, if he's going to stand or 7%, you don't even need to go crazy with it, right? If you get 25%, you can definitely do other things in this in this range. You can even go to 15 or 20%, even if you want to just double him up. Like There's a lot of ways to just get over over in terms of the leverage on the field, and I think that's a good thing to do with a guy who has done nothing but compete in, in strong field events. Yeah, last note about Xander here is that he's he's his second best putting surface and, and barely his second best putting surface compared to Poa is bent grass green. So he's had a lot of success on these types of courses. So moving on, let's look at Morikawa. And right now, Morikawa is projected to be Chalk Donkey. You look at my overall stat model, he's number six. <clears throat> my confidence model, number two. Aggregate model, number one. Typically, all season long, Morikawa has been projecting, for me, anyway at that kind of level but the last time we saw morikawa you know finished 26 at the wcc st jude let us down with the putter which is kind of you know his bugaboo right um not as bad hopefully as like we'll ever see at the genesis where he almost lost eight strokes putting but what was more concerning for me is those crisp sharp irons at the wgc st jude were gone he gained zero strokes on approach um, we know he struggles around the green. These are smaller greens. We know he struggles with the short stick. We already know he's going down in the BMW. Is this chalk we fade at 10,400 if he's going to be owned over 20%? So typically a golfer like Morikawa, uh, you know, uh, someone that can struggle with the putter so mightily, that is typically chalk I'm okay with fading. I will say he will elevate his game a in terms of if he is struggling with the putter, he can still get by with those irons with that approach play. I know you mentioned he struggled last week, but he's still the best iron player in the, on tour and probably the best ball striker we've seen in a while, right? So we know that he can elevate his game above that bad putter. But it is chalk that they can be volatile at times. Like Even when he was first rising through the ranks, right, and he was finding himself being popular when he's a bit cheaper but still performing really well, it was chalk that you could see flopping because of that putter just failing him. It's failed him less often now that he's obviously been winning tournaments. Um, so I, I don't say I wouldn't say it's chalk that I'm wanting to fade necessarily. I would probably not go overweight on it. But again, Colin Morikawa is, in my opinion, the second best golfer in the world right now, and it's tougher to not imagine him at least being in contention here. He's just. He's just too good. I, I think he's genuinely just too good. So uh, I'm okay with I'm okay with having some exposure to him even at the the ownership. So Brooks Kepka, then I think the narration is or the narr- the narrative is that people are going to ignore Brooks Kepka and he's going to come out and he's going to dominate based on recent form and everything like that. I think we're seeing it in ownership. I think he's a value play. We don't have to get stuck on Brooks, but the guy that I really want to touch base on is Rory McIlroy. And the things I noticed about Rory, in his last two tournaments that we have data on, we don't have data at the Open, but he gained strokes off the tee, kind of like old Rory. Um, and I shouldn't even say like old Rory. Like whenever he does well, he's, he's, he's spectacular with the driver. But at the U.S. Open, he gained 3.3 strokes off the tee. At the WGC St. Jude, 5.9. Of course, where he's been struggling is with the putter. And unfortunately, we're probably on his worst putting surface of bent grass greens. But the approach game has been dialed in. Rory, to me, especially if you're going to get him at a 10%, 11% ownership, is a guy you take shots on and you just anticipate that putter to get hot. 
I love Rory this week. I, I'm probably going to like hunt every book I can to get the best number on him to win some outrights. But in my, in my dance model, number three, my aggregate model, number five, my overall stat model, number four. And remember, these overall stat models, these, these models I utilize take a bunch of stats, Vegas numbers, a bunch of my own created stats to create these numbers and metrics. Rory, in or out? Uh, I'm in. Uh, I, I am in. I will say, if he was chalk, this would probably be chalk that I wouldn't feel great about. So I guess monitor that ownership. Just because, again, this is a guy who, the last time he gained a full stroke putting, he, he won Wells Fargo. He hasn't done that over the last year and a half. He just hasn't done it. And not only has it been the putter, but it's also been the short game in general. He hasn't been good around the greens. But I mentioned at the top of the show, I really like elite drivers of the golf ball and that's exactly what Rory is and if he does win he's going to do it because of that and you mentioned the approach game has been good recently where he gained over a stroke and a half on approach at the St. Jude just a putter if he can get the putter and the short game dialed in I think Rory's gonna he's gonna have a good chance to to compete here and like I mentioned if he is going to gain strokes putting the more obviously the, the more he gains the more likely he'll do better but that's been the downfall for him recently so you just need a hot putter, and we and I do that all the time with golfers. I'll roster, I'll continually roster bad putters if they're low owned, but as long as they're good ball strikers. So why not do that with Rory, who we know has the ability to compete here? Absolutely, I agree. I know that at the WC St. Jude, he switched wedges halfway through. Actually, had one shipped in because he just didn't like what was going on. I don't know if it was the grind, the sole, whatever the case may be. So hopefully, he's been working on that short game here. So down to this nine K range and. If you're talking about like balance build strategies, you have to get this right. There are so many players in here that could easily win this tournament. Who's one of your favorites? Uh man, in this range you mentioned it is you do have to get it right. But there there's so many ways that you can go about it, right? I, I think the the first person I look at is Victor Hovland, um, who necessarily hasn't been on top of his game recently, but I'm also just waiting for the big win, right? Obviously, we've seen him win in two, you know, lower tier events, but we're waiting for that big breakout win, right? Um, last week, he was, I, I guess I'll say fine at the St. Jude where he gained strokes on, on approach and off the tee, but a lot, similar to Rory, failed around the greens and couldn't really putt. Um, at the Olympics, similar, uh, similar stuff there where he just didn't gain strokes putting. So typically we've seen him be a phenomenal driver of the golf ball and the approach game has been excellent throughout the course of the year. So I like Victor Hovland. I'm pretty much a sucker for him any week, but um, in my opinion, he's one of the better young players that's due for a big win here eventually. So I, I like Victor Hovland at 9-5, but it's so hard to really to really say, okay, JT's a bad play or Bryson's a bad Like I, I really like Bryson a lot as well. I'll be interested to see where his ownership comes in because if it's going to be popular, I probably won't like it. But if he's going to be you know around 10%, I think Bryson's also extremely interesting. Yeah, Bryson's interesting. Hovland's interesting. If I, when, I, when I go to my power rankings and I sort this in the 9K range, Hovland ends up becoming number three. So looking at this, at how it kind of ranks out and sorts out for my personal power rankings, Berger at 9,100 becomes the best number one value in play. He, it's just there's so much upside at that price. Then DeChambeau, then Hovland, Cantley, Matsuyama, Answer, Scheffler, and of course Justin Thomas. Everyone's all against Thomas's recent play. Yeah. I would even argue that you you move Answer down to the bottom of this list. I know he's coming off a win two weeks ago, but if you just cut, look at the sheer talent of all these golfers in this range, Answer's a good player. He just He's not as good as everyone else in this in this 
in this field at this price. And I think he might be just a little bit over overpriced, actually. And, and that win is really kind of boosting that price that I don't really like. But um, looking at Scotty Scheffler. Okay. I think Scheffler fits this range, even though we're on bent grass. Um, the boy from Texas, people are in all in on Spieth, and I get it for the ball striking, the iron play, and everything like that. But if we like Spieth, don't we like Scheffler? I mean, I'm a big fan of Scotty Scheffler. Another guy who I think is due for that big win, um, and I think this would be a great time for it. I, I think Scheffler is very interesting this, this week, and I think uh, you mentioned Berger, and it's going to be very hard for him not to project and not pop in a lot of models. But there's so many strong pivots around here um, to where I think Berger is actually the the odd man out in terms of those top three chalk players that we talked about between Rom, Morikawa, and Berger. I think I would rather roster Morikawa and Rom strictly based on their ownership um, and then get off of Berger because there's so many guys around here that I think are interesting. And Scheffler is one of them at 9,300. We, we know he's going to win eventually, right? Or at least we think. I, I think he's going to win. I'm fairly confident in that. Don't know when it's going to happen. I hope it's this week. But um, I like Scheffler this week. I think he's very interesting. Uh, another guy who is pretty good off the tee. Uh, his short game's been okay at times where it's kind of ran away from him a bit. Um, but last week, he looked really good. Didn't didn't gain strokes putting, but he, he lost slightly, but gained everywhere else. So I, I like Scheffler a pretty good amount here. I like Scheffler as well. I, I think he's a solid play. I, I love your call on Hovland. Probably going to go that direction at well. But we got to go to Mr. Polarizing himself, Bryson DeChambeau. You know he's going to hit bombs, be all crazy, scientific. Is he going to avoid the media this week? A um, lot of chat on Twitter about him. And and this isn't a joke. I kind of agree with this about him being on the on the autism spectrum. And, you know, signs of that are the fact that he's just socially awkward, right? At the wrong time and doesn't know how to handle those social situations. Like almost like one of those savants. Um so interesting to follow. I know Kenny Kim was all over this, and so was uh, Feinberg, and they were interested in this whole conversation. It was really good. But um, we've seen him win here in 2018. Well, not here at this course, but in this tournament. DeChambeau, does his game fit here? There's a lot of water. We talked about this last week or two weeks ago at St. Jude. Like, do we worry about all that water? Do we worry about the double bogeys with DeChambeau and him just kind of letting loose and we know he's going to be there at BMW Championship, which I think he fits that course better. Finished an eighth at the St. Jude, but fell apart in that back nine. We saw it with Harris English. What do you think? You like Bryson? I do. I do like Bryson. I think he's kind of one of those guys. The price has fallen on him a bit due to some recent struggles, but he played pretty well at the St. Jude. Obviously, he was in contention up until that bad uh, Sunday, but um, he gained strokes putting there. He gained everywhere except for around the green, which... It's going to happen with him at times, but I'm actually not too worried about the the driving here uh, in terms of things that could, could get him in trouble. The fairway width is uh, much larger. Well, I shouldn't say much, but it is slightly larger than average. I think that'll be nice for him here. And I don't think, I think the grown out rough is good for him, but I mean, it being shorter here, I don't think it'll necessarily hurt. Uh, so I like Bryson here. I think we're talking about guys with win equity. He is one of them, right? We know that he can do it. Mm-hmm. And he mentioned some of the things that it kind of took a toll on his body from COVID. He lost some, some weight, lost some strength. He said, but he came back from that and looked good. So maybe the, uh, maybe the the lack of power, maybe the you know, I mean, the guy's gonna hit the ball so far anyway. Maybe losing a little bit and gaining a bit of accuracy is good for him. Who knows? But I do like him. I do think he's a bit underpriced here. 
Um, and I, I guess I probably undersold him when I when I jumped him to go to Hovland because I do like Hovland a lot, but I don't want to under, undersell how much I do like Bryson. I think nine six is too cheap for him this week. I think Bryce, Bryson at that price is cheap. He, I, I I don't understand why he's not in that ten k range. Yeah, and I, also I really... the ownership isn't following it, so that's always a good indicator of strong tournament plays when price drops and the ownership doesn't follow a lot of times you'll see um, price rise on golfers and then the ownership will follow and that's typically signs of bad chalk at times in my opinion so when it mm-hmm. works inversely you can find good tournament plays that way yeah i completely agree with you like you just look at the last 100 rounds on my, on my custom report here you know he ranks 12th in the last 50 round he ranks six in the field just based on my 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 model for the northern trust so I, I love Bryson here. I'm probably going to lock him into my single entries, but you know what? It's Monday. That could change. But as of right now, I, Bryson's one of my big plays. So I think that's good for the 9K range. We know about Decky winning the Masters, everything like that. Our love for Scheffler. Answer, I, I, he's overpriced, kind of touched up on him. So let's look at that 8K range. You're looking at, you know, guys like Paul Casey, Sam Burns, Webb Simpson, Scott, Corey Connors. Lo- everyone loved Adam Scott last week. You know, almost. Almost making it to a seven, making it a seven man final, but God, that putter is brutal at times. <laughs> so the seven K range, you already made Tony Finau finish, you know, part of your foursome. Is he going to be part of your player pool this week? Oh yeah. Tony Finau is always in the player pool. Um, actually three of my, you know, you know how DraftKings will give you those like yearly reports like, Oh, you rostered this person this many times. They do it for football. I don't know if they've ever done it for golf, but if they did, Three of the guys that I've rostered the most over the last two years would be right here in this lower 8K range, and Finau is one of them. Um, I like him a lot here. This is a guy who, sure, he's had times where he struggled to, to finish a tournament or where he struggled to compete through four rounds, but we know he can do it. He's he's 25th in this field in driving distance. He's uh, 38th in approach which over the last six months, which isn't as great as you probably hope, but he is 16th over the last two years. So I like Finau a lot, and this is another guy – I just think he's way too cheap. I, I think it's actually, I didn't expect him to ever be cheaper than Adam Scott this year. I will say that. Uh, I didn't see that coming, and it happened. So I think Finau's too cheap. This Finau price reminds me of two years ago when he was like the DFS darling, always coming in those low 8,000s. But the, the the rationale behind it is this, 34th at the St. Jude, 28th at the 3M Open. He, he did very well at the Open Championship where he finished 15th, but he had two missed cuts. 32nd and a 20th, of course, eighth place at the PGA Championship. So his price for many of those tournaments didn't fulfill expectations. Um, the second thing you have to deal with is that he doesn't win. My argument for him, by the way, not winning is because he lives in Utah. What professional golfer lives in Utah? <laughs> I got a problem with that. But anyways, you know, you, you look at Finau for me, he's 39th in my confidence model. Okay, and that's that's based on Vegas, all my aggregate models, uh, a couple other things, cut percentage, win equity, 59th in my aggregate model, 56th in my overall stat model. He's not popping in terms of like recent form. He still is though Tony Finau. He's probably going to garner anywhere from nine to thirteen percent ownership. He's not necessarily a sleeper. Is it worth the risk? I know you're going to say yes, right? Because you got your player report and Finau finishes you know near not damn near the top is it, is it like a fear of missing out when he finally does win you just can say you had him that that is true yeah that is definitely part of it but also like there have been times where you look at for me anyway I a lot of times I'll assess how I feel about a player's price based on 
their ability or I shouldn't say this because the ability I think that they have to win. So that, that can get cloudy at times, right? Because it is a little bit biased. Cause I think Finau has more ability to win than he showed. Obviously um, another guy, Corey Connors, I think he has more ability to win than he's shown. Another guy, Joaquin Neiman, I think has more ability to win than he's shown. We haven't seen him win yet, but we've seen him come damn close a ton of times. Right. So I think that, I mean, it might get a little cloudy at times, but when I see Tony Finau here at eight, two, I know he can win. We haven't seen him win in a long time, right? And we haven't seen him win a, a tournament that's really meant anything. But I know he can win. Well, well, we've never seen him win a tournament that meant anything. Yeah, no, that's yeah, we never have. We we've seen him win. He won the, the Puerto, Puerto Rico. Rico. Yeah, yeah, he hasn't won anything that meant anything. I mean, the 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 Puerto Rico helps the bank account a little bit, right? Helps the uh, the tour status. But you're right, no no major tournaments. So does every second place he's finished. I'm sure he's not struggling. <laughs> oh, no, I know he's not. But he does live in Utah, so maybe he is. Oh, all that land and playing golf in the winter. What are you doing, Tony? Come on, man. I hope he listens to this show. That'd be great. <laughs> all right, so moving on in this uh, this 8K range. A guy I really like is Webb Simpson. I think his stats just tell a lot of the story. You know, in, in, in my weighted 2021 PJ stats that I'm looking at, I'm looking at like fairways hit, ball striking. He He checks those off, right? In terms of scrambling, you know, strokes gained around the green, checks those off in the top 10 in the field. Third in bogey avoidance. You know, if it does play harder this weekend, let's say the wind picks up, whatever the case may be. But then he's able to score on par fives, par fours, and par threes. And, of course, Webb's not that long, but he just still is able to play well on this course. There are holes where we're going to have to put the driver away. Water comes into play. Can't hit through it. Can't hit over it. You know, you're going to hit it short and you're going to have to pull out those long irons. I like Webb Simpson at this option. I think he's going to get some ownership, but if I can get that lower than like 12%, I think I'm going to buy in the Webb this weekend. Yeah, I mean, I think Webb's fine. I I just lean the guys that are a bit cheaper. Um, like a lot of the the strengths that you touched on with Webb, you kind of see the same things with the read, right? With scrambling and all that stuff um, and the ability to just to perform well in, I guess, less than ideal situations. But you know, we know that that Reed can get it done, and I know I mentioned that I would pick him to blow up his house, uh, not not that way, but his <laughs> toilet. <laughs> um, <laughs> now the FBI is knocking on my door. Thanks, Mike. But um, oh, show's canceled. <laughs> but I would say like he's three hundred dollars cheaper. Every every hundred dollar counts, right? Obviously, if I'm liking Web more, I'm not gonna you know be a stickler over three hundred dollars of salary, but. I like Reed. I like Cam Smith. Uh, I like those three guys at the uh, the end of the 8K range. So the top guys like Webb and English and even Casey who's going to be popular. I don't know if I'll get to as much just because, not because I think they're bad plays, but because I just like the, the guys for a little bit of a discount more. All right. So last guy I want to talk about in this range is Sam Burns. All right. Bermuda Burns, blah, 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 blah. But come on, let's be realistic. He's a good putter anywhere. He's just a good putter. Okay. I think he fits well on this course. The one thing that I worry about, though, is, you know, that off the tee game, hitting fairways. Is that going to derail any love for Burns? For me, it does a little bit because you need to be in the fairway here to score. And while this course won't necessarily play easy, it's not going to play monstrously difficult either. Um, how do you feel about Burns? I like I like him. Um, I don't like him as much as guys like uh, like Neiman, who's right above him, or Finau. But he does he does catch my eye a bit. And again, another reason why I'm just probably not going to get to guys that are in that top 8K range: Simpson, English, and Casey. Like I think Burns is a, a strong play here. You mentioned um, your 
your one of your key stats being the ability to produce birdies so to score low. Sam Burns third in this field over the last year in birdie or better percentage. We know he can he can get it done here, and this is a course we saw this course in 2019 for the Northern Trust and the the, uh, the winner Patrick Reed 16 under. So this could very well turn into a spot where you need to score to win. And Burns being in the top three and birdie or better percentage, uh, he's actually tied for third with speed. So um, I, I think it's appealing for sure. But again, don't know if I can do it just because of how much I love Connors, Finau, and Neiman. I hear you. All right, well, just to round it off in the power rankings of this 8K from 1 to 10, number one is Paul Casey, followed by Sam Burns, Harris English, Webb Simpson, Adam Scott, Corey Connors, Neiman, Cam Smith, Patrick Reed, and running in the rear, your boy, Tony Finau. Remember, those power rankings are stat-driven. No opinions built into those. All right, the 7K range always makes or breaks your lineups. Who's going to finish in that top 10, top 5? Guy I want to start with is Matt Fitzpatrick. I think he's going to get a lot of love this week. And the reason is, is that people are going to look at his recent form and say, well, these courses were too easy. Now he's on a, on a more difficult course. He's going to have to manage his expectations. We know that about Matt Fitzpatrick. He's able to, to balance a course out and attack when he has to, but he just can't score. I actually think that the course is not going to play as difficult as projected. And I know when I run my simulator model, which you can download on, download on cutlinegolf.com, I'm going to run this course a little bit easier. And, and the reason I'm going to do that is because like, if it's wet at all, the course becomes softer, scoring becomes easier. We, we saw Reed win here at what, 16 under? 13 under, somewhere around there? 16, yep. Yeah. So I think the course is too easy for Fitz to where he's just not in play. He can't score that low. And maybe this comes back to bite me in the ass because we're in the FedEx postseason, whatever the case may be, but I'm just not in on Fitz. Yeah. I mean, I, I think Fitz is a guy I'm also a little bit, I would say, lukewarm on and, Maybe that's mostly because fellow Englishman right there, hundred dollars cheaper, Terrell Hatton is who I prefer here. Not you know he's the worst putter of the two, right? That we're talking about Fitzpatrick and Hatton, but I think Hatton is a bit more volatile. Which you, that a lot of times people will view that as a kind of a bad word, volatile. You have volatility you don't like you don't typically like volatility in life, right? But our our guy over at FTN, Matt Jones, he does a great job with the, our volatility report where he actually touches on a golfer's ability to. To perform well, maybe you know some some down rounds, some down events are going to happen, but we want, we want those spike those spike events, right? People use it in, in best ball, right? Spike weeks. If you're going to have a big week, that's the kind of golfer that you want to roster in tournaments because that's how you're going to win a top prize. We're not here to min cash, at least at least I'm not, and I know you're not, Mike. We want that top prize, so we want volatile golfers, and Hatton can be that at times. We've seen him win. We've seen him be very bad <laughs> at times where he's throwing clubs around and throwing clubs into the water and stuff. So we've seen him at the best of both worlds, right? And I think Hatton fits that mold. I'll be interested to see where his ownership kind of rounds out at, but at 7,800, it's a price that I just can't quite look away from. I do like Hatton this week. He ranks 23rd in my projection model, just a shade above 70. So I do, I, I do like Hatton. He's he's undervalued, most definitely. We talked about pricing at the beginning of the show. And at 7,800, I think Terrell Hatton is way underpriced. Um, in my overall stat model, number 22. So he's in the top 25 range in the confidence model, top 20. And of course, you talk about that volatility and, and not min caching. I hate fucking min caching. <laughs> I'd rather finish in last place because that means I did something right. I took a risk, but, um, like give me that top prize. I think Terrell Hatton fits that mold, especially if, uh, ownership shakes out the way it does. I'm surprised at this next call though with ownership. I thought he'd be a lot more popular is Kokrak at 7,700. Um, you know, we're on bent grass 
And typically when we get bent grass greens, we get ownership for Jason Kokrak that's like through the roof. And I know that he's still a shitty-ass putter, but I'm surprised that it's not higher. Like, I really am. I mean, the guy is... He's great this year. He's, he's probably like top 35 in terms of like the PGA stat models that I'm, I'm, I'm ranking. I think he's coming in, in lower own than he should be. So this could change by Wednesday night. But if that stays single digits, I think I'm going to be rostering some Jason Kokrak, especially when people are be thrown off with his finish at the Wyndham where he missed the cut. Yeah. I mean, I will say I do like Hatton more. So that might, you know, affect the exposure that I have to Kokrak. But a lot of things we've talked about, birdie or better percentage, he's 17th in the field. Driving distance, he's 17th. You mentioned he's a bad putter. I will say he's been a very unclutch putter over the last six months. He is seventh, seventh in this field in strokes gained putting, though. Uh, obviously, that's not grass dependent, so that could change for this particular course. But around the green, he's been awful. That's where he's just really big country is not good around the green. Um, but he can get it done in terms of going low and in terms of hitting bombs, right? So I think Kogreg, I think you nailed it. I think he's a strong play here uh, at 7,700. Him and Hatton are two of my favorite plays, not only in this range, but potentially even on the entire week. All right, so we, we, th- we talked about this upper 7,600 to 7,900. We talked about plenty of golfers in there. I'm, I'm kind of curious what happens with Russell Henley this week in ownership, but we don't have to go into the depth. Don't really feel like talking about Harmon, Poulter, Horschel, or Sergio, um, unless you want to touch base on them. I have no interest in those guys, so I'm good to move on. Guy I want to go down to, though, three of them specifically. And they're guys that, for, for the last few years, we typically don't tail. But for whatever reason, this year have been pleasantly surprising. Keegan Bradley's one, you know, first-round leader bet. Always got to put that in. Cameron Tringale is two, the sexiest name in golf. And then Grio. Those three guys are just very interesting to me this week because you are going to get them at a reduced ownership. Yeah, I'm <laughs> Grio. If if you guys have read any of my articles that I do every week, you know I've played a lot of Grio this year, and a lot of times it results in me needing a new keyboard because I smash my forehead into it watching him <laughs> like blow up rounds. Like he's, I, I remember one week. He was cutting up, up there with first round leader and then he ended up missing the cut. Like he just, that's Grio for you. But again, we talk about volatility and how it can be actually good for tournaments. That fits the bill for Grio. Um, the one thing, like two guys that you, you know, you mentioned Tringali. I'll, I'll kind of, uh, I guess loop in another guy, Shane Lowry. We haven't really seen a ton of volatility from these guys. We've seen volatility on one hole from Cameron Tringali when he put up, what was it, a 92 when he went in the water 17 times? Yeah. That, that was a pretty volatile hole. But those guys have been very consistent this year. So I think if you're looking for some consistency out of your golfers, maybe you want to have four, maybe three to four golfers in your lineup that have upside but come with some risk and maybe balance it out with some, some more consistent golfers. I think Tringali and Lowry fit that bill. I, the thing I like about Tringale is when he hasn't missed a cut, he's almost, he's only finished outside the top 30 one time. And, or twice actually at the API and the Charles Schwab. So I think there's some advantage to playing that. He's playing his best golf that he's ever has on PGA Tour. And I think people are just forgetting the name because the last time we saw him was at the 3M Open and that was at the end of July. We're already towards the end of August and you know, what have you done for me lately is kind of like the trend now. And especially with all the money available on DraftKings, people, you're going to get a lot of, you know, a lot of minnows and, and, you know, fresh meat in some of these tournaments that where, where some of these golfers might get avoided. 
Shane Lowry, kind of the same thing. I do like his game, but again, the volatility with Shane Lowry is kind of like what you touched upon, 65th at the Wells Fargo, 65th at the U.S. Open, but in between there, he had a 6th place and 4th place finish at the PGA in the Memorial. So a lot of upside there. We always know that Shane Lowry is going to just be that bugaboo with the putter. Um, but that's kind of what you want, right? That's what we were talking about before without, you know, we don't want to min cash. We want a hot putter, maybe, you know, sneak up on some guys there. So man, sorry about your keyboards, dude, with Creo. You're just not getting them on the right week. Um, in this lower seven K range, like, do you got any interest in anyone else? Like, like do you any love for Streelman? Do you got any interest in rostering someone like Johnny Vegas? Uh, we talked about like the, you know, the cream rising in the top. Do any of those guys like fit that mold in your opinion? Yeah. I mean, you, you mentioned it. Johnny Vegas, another great name, maybe not the sexiest name. And I know it's kind of cheating because his name isn't actually Johnny, but Johnny Vegas, that's a really good name. And also speaking of really good, his form T15, T16, T2, T11. Like those are some really good string of events there for Vegas. I think he fits the course decently well. Eighth in terms of driving distance, 35th in birdie or better percentage. He's ninth in strokes gain off the tee over the last six months in this field. So I like Vegas a lot. 7,100, I think the price is fine. The one thing I am worried about is the ownership. I'm not sure where you kind of see him following, but I do think he could potentially be a bit popular here at this price. But I also think Charlie Hoffman's going to get ownership, which I think I prefer Vegas. I would take Vegas over Hoffman. Hoffman had his run, and I just think it's done. I think Vegas has a lot more left in the tank, and I'm just not a fan of Charlie Hoffman recently. Seamus Power is probably going to be one of the uh, DFS darlings this week. I think his ownership is going to increase than what we currently have it projected for. He did win the Barbasol. I don't think that'll get overlooked this week. Um, eighth at the John Deere before that. Eighth at the Rocket Mortgage. Nineteenth, nineteenth at the Travelers in Palmetto. Ninth at the Byron Nelson. The only like kind of hiccup since May has been that uh, the 60th place at the Wyndham where he was just brutal on approach, brutal around the green, and brutal with the putter. So yeah. if that's the case, like people are going to look at that recent form and say, no, thank you. I think we could obviously see some positive regression for uh, this week. Um, so I think Seamus Power is in play, especially with that low ownership. But all right, let's go, let's go down to the 6K range. Let's finish it all up, and uh, let's get all settled. Who do you like in the 6K range? We don't have to go nuts. This it's it's full of golfers that are going to miss this cut potentially. Some that you know are going to make the cut, but then fade come round three, round four. We're looking for those guys who have that upside, and the guys who are going to finish like top 25 or better in this 6K range. Who do you like? Yeah, so I guess I should preface this by saying typically I, in these kinds of events where we have. You know, I mentioned a couple of guys like Finau and Neiman, who I think are too cheap. They can make your lineup really well rounded. Hatton's also one of those names. You don't really need to go down here in these in these types of fields, but if you're going to be up here with Rom and Morikawa, I think it is important to have a couple of plays that you like. At the top, the you know we have Carlos Ortiz and Maverick McNeely, who when we've seen them play recently, it's been nothing but good things, right? McNeely has five straight finishes inside the top 30, with three of those being inside the top 20. Uh, and then he had a T21, so a lot of great play from McNeely. I don't know if I necessarily love him as like a a course fit here, but I still think he's fine. Um, Ortiz, I think is good. Uh, I think he's pretty interesting here. Again, I, not guys that I think are necessarily core plays or anything like that. I think it's, you'd probably be hard pressed to find a core play down in this range. And I guess I'll skip a couple of, of sections here and go down to, I guess my favorite play in this range. And it's, pro- uh, it's probably going to be Doug Gim. Um, Oh God, the Gim <laughs> Reaper. Okay. I mean, he's, he's super cheap. I don't think he'll be too popular. He can't putt to save his life. 
but he's fantastic on, on I shouldn't say fantastic. I'll say fantastic for the price. In this price range, 28th in approach over the last six months in this field, 11th in greens and regulation, 40th in birdie or better. I think he has some upside here. Um, yeah, I mean, you need him to get the putter going, and maybe that's not the, the most reliable thing in the world, which definitely is not. But I think at 6,200, if you're gonna if you're gonna be in this range, why not try to find the guy as cheap as possible, right? Well, I think the issue that you find in this 6K range is is you really see their deficiencies. Right. So you got to wait like what you're gonna value. Are you gonna value driving distance more? Because if you are, that that totally leaves Gim out because right. he's gonna be playing with long irons all day, but he's gonna be in the fairway. Now if you're gonna love fairway accuracy, that that leaves you know someone like Dylan Fratelli out. Because, you know, he'll be super long, but he'll be missing that fairway. And you're looking at guys like Sepp Straka, Luke List. You know, guys can hit it long. Even um, uh, EVR, right? Um, a guy I always feel that I'm a sucker for, and I'm going to do it again here because of just potential upside. And, and I talked about him last week. He was a sneaky play. And I think I got overshadowed a lot by the uh PGA touts call of, of Kisner last week and how he was just every day putting it out there. But I was all over Aaron Wise. And I get it, Aaron Wise. Who gives a fuck, right? <laughs> but I mean it's Aaron Wise. He didn't win. Okay, whatever. But he he did finish 46th. He made the cut at the Wyndham and if he can get the putter going at 6,600, he is an option. It's a very high risk option again, but I mean, the guy does have some driving distance, misses fairways, but like you mentioned, these are a little bit wider. In addition, you're going to be putting that driver away. So one of his weakest part of the game is going to be mitigated and taken away. Um, I just think there's some upside to Aaron Wise there, especially with his ability to score, but you know, more than likely that guy's going to miss the cut, but so what I had to mention him, but, um, yeah, I mean, I agree with you though. It's kind of hard to get down here and to kind of build some strong lineups. Doug Gim, he he is going to grade out well, but he's going to grade out well in, in plenty of uh, other people's lineups. Norlander kind of ruined some people's lineups last weekend. Any interest going back to him? Any interest in Gooch at all? Chris Kirk, guys who did well. HV3, any of these guys? Yeah, I probably won't go to Norlander. Um, I mean, like you're just asking for like a world to hurt with Norlander. He brings the volatility with the putter. He's also like you would actually expect him to be better in terms of the birdie numbers because he's 20th in greens and regulation in this field, but he's 121st in birdie or better. So it goes to show either he a he's not putting the ball in a good position to score or he's not putting well. And I would actually vote that it's both because going from 20th in greens and regulation to 121st in this field in birdie, but that's a significant drop off. So eventually you might that might be someone that you're looking for regression there, but I mean he's just been so consistent with those numbers. Um, you mentioned Gooch and Chris Kirk, two guys I was very high on last week. Um, Kirk was good. Gooch was, I, I obviously missed the cut, so he kind of hurt me a little bit. But uh, he missed the cut. He had a chance. He he should have he should have had a much better week, but ended up kind of falling late on Friday. I like both these guys here uh, in terms of fitting the course better. I do think Gooch probably has the better fit. He's better in terms of birdie or better, and he's a bit longer off the tee. But Kirk, I think he's a bit of a of a safe overall play, but I think Gooch has upside. We've seen him kind of pop at the top of leaderboards at times. Um, but one guy that I'm interested in here, and it's not necessarily off of anything like definitive. He's just more of in like the the mid, uh, kind of the mid tier in, in a lot of these stats that we're looking at. But it's Harold Varner, who if you look back at what he did here in 2019 when they played this event at this course, he finished T3rd, uh, T3. 2.37 strokes gain on approach, and he was plus 281 on, on T to green. So uh, I think Varner's in play. Obviously, he 
played well here uh, two years back. So I think Varner's also interesting. He's also a guy that I, I can typically get behind most weeks, um, and the course history helps a little bit. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I do like that. Speaking of that 2019 finish, you got Andrew Putnam finished 12th. Wyndham Clark finished 18th. Um, continuing on, Adam Shank, 24th. So you do got some great finishes here that week. Troy Merritt, Snedeker. Um, so there are some gems down here if you're looking at 2019 specifically for guys who finished well. So you can find those guys. Of course, there are players in this range that are going to play well. So it's just finding them, deciphering them, and figuring out who the best is going to be. Um, I do actually like Andrew Putnam if we're looking at like that $6,100 range, but again, another high risk volatile play. Uh, anyone else in that range? Like if you had to go that sub 63 that you like, uh, Lento Griffin, he's 6,300 on the dot. Um, he projects well for me early in the week. Obviously it's going to change a lot, but, um, we've seen him at times be able to, to produce some low scores. He's a very volatile player again. So if you're going to be down in this range, you're going to, if you're down here in this range, you're going to be accepting the fact that your golfer probably is not nearly as good as the rest of the golfers in the field. So you're just hoping to catch one on a really strong week. And so you're looking for guys who can pop and have big weeks. And I think Lanto is that guy. He's uh 36 in driving distance, uh, 46 in approach over the last six months and 39th in approach over the last two years. Um, so I think Lanto is probably the guy in 63 and less other than Gim that pops the most. All right. So that's the breakdown for the cut lines uh, preview of the Northern Trust. Let's take it home. Let's go. Oh, you men are all alike. Seven or eight quick ones and you're off with the boys to boast and brag. You better keep your mouth shut. Oh, I think I love him. All right, that's it. It's over. It's all over. That is the cut lines breakdown of the Northern Trust. Join us next week as we break down the BMW Championship. Want to thank Kyle Murray and his contributions to the show, FTN Daily. You can find Kyle at KMurrayDFS on Twitter. Nine-time qualifier, man. Guy knows his shit. Kyle, thank you so much, dude. You, you fucking rock this show. Great job. I appreciate you having me on. Anytime you need a guest, you uh, you have my numbers. So hit me up. All right. Sounds good. Thanks. All right, guys. Thank you. Appreciate you, for you, guys. appreciate you guys for listening. Crush it this week. We'll see you at the BMW. Later.